Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. So I do want to uh, piggyback off this, this Palm Sunday thing. It's one of my favorite Sundays, particularly as a kid. Uh, this was one of the only Sundays I remember, right? Because it's hard to remember sermons. You know, looking back, you know, your whole life, you look back when you were a kid. I didn't remember a whole lot happening, but I did remember the Palm Branch, Right. Because uh, it's just a whole, you know, about an hour and a half of endless opportunities, you know, just creative invention and, you know, whacking people in the head. That happened to me a couple times today already. Uh, tickling the, the neck of the guy in front of you, right? Don't try that. Um, uh, but I, I've always loved Palm Sunday because it's been memorable. But even more than that, I love, as I've grown, I've just, I've just loved the opportunity for a specific time to actually highlight the kingship of Jesus. And, uh, you know, we celebrate Jesus in a lot of different ways. There's so many aspects that we sing about and we preach about. We, we talk about Jesus as, uh, as our lover, Jesus as the friend of sinners, Jesus as, uh, as, our, as our teacher and our leader and our shepherd and, our, and a prophet. And Jesus in all these different ways. And yeah, we sing about Jesus as king, but... Uh, I, I think sometimes for us, it's a little harder for us to wrap our minds around the kingship of Jesus, yeah? Do you guys agree that it's a little tough for us to get the whole idea of kingship? Um, I think there's several reasons for that, uh, particularly for those of us who are citizens of the United States of America. Um, kings don't do really well for us, do they? Like, we, we had a king at one time, Yeah? And we said to him, you know what, King George, this ain't working, right? We're staying here in the Americas. We started the war. We came over here because we're, we're going to celebrate independence, right? And so we do that. We got a day. We celebrate independence, too. And so that's part of who we are. And that's awesome. We love our country for that. But it does make it a little bit of a sore issue when we start talking about, now we got a king. You know, there's something inside of us in that American spirit that I think is like, now hold on a second here. Hold on a second, bucko, Right? And I think we see in other ways, you know, that's kind of more of a, a national political way. Even in our religious history, um, you know, if, if you've thought about this, uh, we uh, stem from an entire stream of Christianity that traces back to uh, someone named Martin Luther, right? And so what we owe Martin Luther is credit for what we call the Protestant Reformation, yeah? And so basically, you know, anyone who's not Catholic... If you're a Christian, you're essentially considered a Protestant. So the important thing to know about Protestants is the root word there is what? Protest, right? So much of our stream of of thought and faith tradition actually was birthed out of an attitude of protest, an attitude of this is how things should be and this is how that should go. And again, we, we owe a lot of thanks to you guys like Martin Luther and guys who sit up over time. Um, but to add, you know, a, l- a little fuel to the fire as well, we live in a particular geographic location um, that not only is protest available and accessible, it's celebrated, isn't it? You know, like we live in a county where protest, it's like encouraged. Like if you don't have something to protest, what is wrong with you, right? Not only, will you, not only are we encouraged to protest, we're encouraged to protest protesters, Yeah. 
And so you protest, protest, I'll, I'll protest you, right? And so, and so can we all agree, there's something kind of written into our history, a little bit ingrained, this kind of stick it to the man mentality, right? It's just, we're just kind of on edge all the time, right? Like, nobody's telling me what to do, right? It's kind of, it has worked its way in, in probably more ways than we know. And you may have not thought about that, and we sing about it with ease. We sing about Jesus as king, but there is something when we really start drilling down into that, that we have to be honest with ourselves sometimes, and we have to start with a confession that maybe this is a little hard for us to get sometimes. And, and I think if we're seeking to be kingdom people, are we seeking to be kingdom people? If we're seeking to be kingdom people, we have to continue to renew ourselves in our thinking with the reality of Jesus as king. Yeah? The reality of Jesus as king of kings. And so, I know we've already been through the scripture, but man, I, I just want to hit it one more time. I want to talk about, just want to read it straight from the word. In Luke 19, you guys can kind of read along. We're going to read about the triumphal entry here. And I'm going to get going just because uh, I want to land the plane with enough time for us today. Luke nineteen twenty eight, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? That's usually a good question to start with. And they said, The Lord has need of it. Okay. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing the cloaks on the coat, they set, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen. And so it's an important passage it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, and all three of the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John, because this is the passage where Jesus, it's time to announce emphatically, it's, to hear, it's time for him to declare his kingship and the type of kingship that it would be. And, and we see that in this passage is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. See, in the prophet Zechariah said in uh, Zechariah 9, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know not only was that a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of what the Messiah would do, uh, but as he mounted on a donkey, on a colt, it was, he's sending a very clear message about the type of kingdom, right? Because any king that would ride into town, if they had uh, very clear intentions about political activity, they would ride in on a horse to basically announce, this is what's up, right? And he said, no, that's not what I'm doing. I'm riding in on a donkey because I am not just the king of kings, I'm the prince of peace, and this is the type of kingdom that I am about. So he rides in on that. Now, 
If you don't know the, the, the context of this story, it's important to know some of the other things that are kind of happening. Some of the other um, details that the, that the disciples, that the early followers of Jesus, the things that they would be thinking at this point in time. It's, it's a moment that's loaded with a lot of anticipation and expectation. They had read and memorized the words of the prophets. Uh, so they knew what it was going to look like when the Messiah came. These are people that were familiar with the scripture and they were waiting for the Messiah. And so they would renew themselves. They would read over, this is what it's going to be like. This is what we're looking for. And so for years, the, the children of Israel were waiting for the Messiah, the king who would usher in a new era of liberation and freedom. They knew when the Messiah came, he was going to set captives free. That was what was prophesied about him. And so that's what they're waiting for. And so it makes sense for them to take some of those prophecies and apply it to what's right in front of their eyes at that point in time, which is what? Oppression from, from Roman rule, right? They were, they were under the occupation of Rome. And that's what they see right in front of them at this time. And so they read these Old Testament prophecies about liberation and freedom. And so it's natural for them to say, oh, well, if this is him, then this is what he's come to set us free from. Because they knew that they were the remnant of God, a chosen people, a holy nation. That they were still under the governance of foreign rulers. So it makes sense that there was a, a growing discontent among the people towards a circumstance that they saw was outside of God's plan, right? And so here we are three years into Jesus' ministry. He's about to, to do what he came to do. And we know that as he's writing in Jerusalem, at this point his identity was solid as a prophet. His identity was solid as a miracle worker. These people had seen him heal the lame and open the eyes of the blind and raise people from the dead. And so it's no wonder that the people would be caught up into this a fervor um, of the possibility that the long-awaited king of Israel was coming into town. He was about to make his move, right? He was about to ascend the throne, finally. And that's kind of what led them to say what they say. So he's coming in, and the first thing that comes to mind is, they start shouting and singing, Hosanna, which is a word that means save us. God, save us. So Jesus is coming in the room and they say, save us, save us. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, uh, and that's what they were shouting to him. And obviously they had a very specific circumstance that they were thinking about when they're singing the word save us. They're processing all that through what's right in front of them. But that cry, that Hosanna cry, that deliver us cry, obviously you and I know that that's not something that's changed a whole lot in the last 2,000 years. Um, it's a cry that surfaces in all of us from time to time, if, if weekly if not daily. And, and maybe we don't use the word Hosanna, or when we're praying we're not saying deliver us, you know, in those particular words, but we have these cries of, God, I need you right now. God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. God, I need you to restore the situation. God, I need you to get them off of my back. I need you to make this situation right. I need you to bring healing to my body. God, would you save me from this? Would you rescue me from this? God, would you deliver us? 
And that's something that we all do, um, which is a good thing to do, because the scripture tells us to call on the name of the Lord. Does it? Call on the name of the Lord. Salvation is in his name. Call on the one who has power to save. But what comes to mind for me, and I think just, uh, it seems so subtle, but it's just so important that we get back to this place and we remember this and we see this dynamic play out, is that there's a major difference between worshiping Jesus as king and telling him how to be king. There's a, there's a major difference between worshiping Jesus as king and telling him how to be king. And I know it sounds subtle and maybe even elementary, but this is a big deal. And I think this can happen when we get, we get caught in this familiar place between holding on to a promise and awaiting the payoff, right? Because that's all of us. We, we are all have things we're holding on to, right? You have these, these promises, these, these, these words from Scripture, these things he's whispered to your heart, these hopes, these dreams, these prayers, these persistent prayers, these intercessions, these things you've been asking for, you've been longing for, you've been holding out for, you've been hoping for, and, and you know because of what you know of God that you're just, I'm just waiting because I know that he's a God that can be trusted. I know that he's a God who is worthy. I know he's a God who has power to save. I know that's who he is. And so we get caught in these tensions. And all of us probably in this room, if you were to examine your own life, whether you know it or not, you have probably some tensions in your own life. And I think here's the thing about that. It's really easy when we're caught in that tension to be so mindful of the problem or the need or the challenge that the king who actually sits above those things, the king who is in control of, th- of those things, gets pushed to the peripheral and is only used as a means to accomplish our expectations. We can be so mindful of what we're hoping for, that we actually push the king to the side, asking him to fulfill those things rather than keeping him, the one who has control over it, in the very center of that. And here's, here's why I think this matters. Palm Sunday, there's a crowd gathered, and they're all worshiping a king coming into town. Not all of them, but... The disciples, the ones who were there, they were worshiping and, and they were thinking of ways to welcome Christ. They welcomed the king into town. So some of them took off their coats, laid them on the ground. Some of them cut off long branches and laid them on the ground. But I think what was happening is while some of the people were laying their branches on the ground to welcome in Jesus the king, there were others who were laying their branches on the ground, not for Jesus the King, but to make, to make way for their own expectations to be filled. Their branches were being laid not for Jesus, but for revolution, for a Roman overthrow. That's what was going on when they were laying their branches down. And it's really easy for us, in our situations and in our longings, we can easily take the branches and instead of welcoming Jesus himself, the king who reigns over those things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my branch down for everything I want the king to do on my behalf. And that's who I'm actually welcoming into town. 
And if those expectations don't measure up, man, I'm going to be severely disappointed in, in you. And here's why I think that matters. This crowd had no idea, none of them had no idea what was about to take place in the next five days. Not one of them. All they knew was they had a suspicion, this is the guy, this is the king, this is the Messiah, we're welcoming him into town. Not one of them knew where he would be in the next five days. And I would go as far as to say, the people who are laying their branches down for their own expectations were not able to see the glory of a blood-splattered cross five days later. All they were able to see was the defeat and the disappointment of of a failed attempt to be a king. But the people who welcomed Jesus himself, the king himself, the people who saw Jesus and said, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know this is the guy. The people who saw King Jesus himself, they were able to not only get through the cross, but make it to the resurrection. When you're able to see King Jesus himself, you can see through the cross to the other side and to what awaits the other side. When all you see is your expectations and what you're hoping for is your expectations, you completely miss out on the work of the king in every other part of your life. You become blind to his activity in every other place of your life. All you can see is what you've been disappointed in. And it's really important. I know this is so subtle. It's so slight. And you're thinking, man, it's it's hard to identify sometimes. But I'm telling you, if we're going to be kingdom people, we have to get used to Jesus doing unexpected things. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, come on. Does Jesus ever do anything expected? Almost never. Does he ever do anything the way we want it to do? No. But does it always work out for his glory and our good? Yes. Yes and yes and yes. And as we've already discovered, there's only one direction in the kingdom. It's from glory to glory. And only people who can see the king can look to the cross and look through the cross and see what's coming and not be phased. Or people that don't get phased at the stuff, at the suffering, at this mess that gets thrown back into our faces. I don't... We can't get phased at that stuff. Why? Because we are the recipients of a kingdom over which reigns a king who knows what's going on. And we are his. He's a good king. But it's important we settle this in our heart. Tim Keller, this great quote, he said, If you add anything to Jesus as a requirement for being happy, that's your real king. If you add anything to Jesus as a requirement for your own happiness, that's your real king. And, and, and come on, that's got to hit home. That's got to. Because I know we're all caught in those places of longing in your business. You're, busy, you know, you're looking for what to do. You're trying to get to that next love. You're always trying to get to that next thing in your family, in your marriage. We're always, you know, we're, we're hoping and praying for all of these things. But in all of those things, there has to be a place of contentment in my heart. There has to be something that Jesus alone is enough to content me to where I am. If I know that I'm his, his I know I am in good hands. We have to settle this place in our heart that Jesus is sufficient by himself. You can take it all away, but he is sufficient by himself. And then we can't be defeated. 
When you are in that place, if that is the posture in which we're living, you will always win. Do you understand that? And so this is, this is an important thing, because it has to do with having eyes to see and ears to hear. And I feel like in my life, when I look around in these places where, man, I've been let down. I just thought things were going to go different ways. I mean, and you have probably a lot of those things too. It could be things having to do with community life or expectations from church or expectations for, you know, what, what you thought the Lord said he would do for you in the Bible. And all, all of these things, we, we come to him with all those expectations and, and we pray those prayers, God, save us, deliver us. But if, if we're going to be a people that recognize the activity of the king and are not phased by the crosses and are not phased by a little blood splatter, then we have to settle this place in our heart. That I am, my attention is directed towards him. And I don't know how this stuff works out half the time. I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how we even got here sometimes. You know, like, I don't know how, you know, you look at your life and you're thinking, I don't even know how I got today, but I got to today. So that must be, that must mean there's a good God who's on my side who loves me even now. Some of you need to hear that right there. There is a good God who loves you where you're sitting right now. Look at me. I'm not making this up. He knows what he's doing. For the joy set before him, even Jesus could look through the cross. Talked about that last week. He could just look right through it. What if we were that type of people that could just look through and see glory on every side? And I think that's just kind of the, the big idea of when I wanted to land the plane with today. And I'm just excited because it all goes uphill. Just being in the kingdom, man, it's just we get convinced that things are going downhill and they're just not. I don't know if that's easier said than done. I don't know your circumstance and you're right. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know that. But all I know is the people in this passage were about to go through something so unbelievably unexpected and so unbelievably heart-wrenching that they weren't sure they had any other options to give up, but to give up. But you have to know in Christ, there has to be the seed of hope that in Christ there is always an option for resurrection. There is always an option for restoration. And there's always an option for him to be glorified and for us to see and to be in tune with the work he's doing in our hearts. Do you guys hear me on that today? And we have to get used to the unexpected gifts of Jesus. I'm just telling you. You gotta stick it through. There's so many unexpected gifts. That's the, what the kingdom is about. They're all unexpected gifts. We think we know what's happening. We don't most of the time, right? We have no idea. Do we? But there's gifts. They're unexpected. But he leads us to them. And he says, Do you trust me as your king? I'm going to totally undermine your expectations. I'm going to totally subvert everything you thought how this was supposed to play out in your life. But I need permission to do that. And so... I want to read this last passage. What, I, what I'm really stoked about is this isn't the last time we get to hold palm branches, all right? 
uh, as I was reading in the scripture, there's going to come another time where we're going to have palm branches in our hand. And here's what John says, the book of Revelation. He gives a little snippet into heaven. Here's what he says, Revelation 7, let's go. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, and all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, we all love those guys, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Come on. <laughs> I love that. I love how, you know, just... Winding down the verse there, they just start making up new words. You know, blessing and glory and wisdom. They're just starting to make up things to add to the sentence, right? What if we did that today? God, to you be everything. God, be my, my sleeping, my eating, my walking, my working, my living, my relationships, my problems, my difficulties, my challenges, my hopes, my dreams, my desires. All of these things that are laid out before me, I give them to you. All blessing and honor and glory, our power, are yours forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so we're going to sing here. And I just want to put one more invitation on the table. Some of you, the Lord just spoke to you directly, all right? And you just realize, like, man, there's things, I need to lay this palm branch on behalf of these expectations I have. And I've just been holding God to these really specific set of rules. And I've put him in a box and said, you can be king only if you do it like this. And some of you need to lay that down. And that's going to prepare you for a really great week. In life, I guess. And as we sing, I just want to invite you, if that's you, feel free to come up. Lay your palm branch on, on the stage. It's just a, a symbol. It's just a sign. It says, God, I'm in this for you, King Jesus. You're the one my heart is after. You're the one I find my contentment in. You're the one. Yeah? All right, one more. I got to read one more passage. This is just good. Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's stand together. Let's sing this together.